Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salter. Today we're going to be talking about COVID-19, but specifically about the vaccine trials and plans for getting doses of the vaccine to healthcare workers, possibly even later this month. We have uh, three guests with us on this, uh, on the show today. We have Penny Caudill from the Monroe County Health Department, the administrator. Penny's been on numerous times before. Carol Weiss-Kennedy is IU Health Bloomington's Director of Community Health. And Dr. Cynthia Brown is with the IU School of Medicine. She's Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send us uh, your questions or your comments there. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And anytime that you have health, uh, questions about health, you could write down um, this idea. You can send uh, to Side Effects, WFIU's Health News Initiative, and they're a partner of ours. You can text HEALTH to 73224. Again, if you want to write that down, you can text HEALTH to 73224. Two two four. All right, Penny. Thank you very much for being with us today. Penny Cottle has been on the show numerous times. She's been very helpful during this uh, pandemic. And Penny, if you could just update us on the status of the pandemic in Monroe County, where are we now, and uh, what do you hope to share with our listeners today? Certainly. Thanks for having me again. I I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, certainly anyone who's watching the dashboard um, is probably aware that there's a color-coded metrics now that the state is using to indicate uh, communities that are in uh, larger community spread. And we are currently in Orange. We stayed in Orange this week. We were there last week. Our positivity rate is rising, and I do think probably some of that is testing, the amount of testing being done, for example, with the university has decreased, and I'm sure that there's some uh, association with that, but what people need to understand is that we have community spread, that uh, COVID-19 is in our community, But the good news is we know how we can reduce our risks and prevent the spread. And that is by uh, maintaining that six foot distance, masking up, uh, avoiding crowds of people who are unmasked and not socially distanced by that six foot uh, framework, uh, staying home when we are sick, good hand washing practices. And we are encouraging everyone to get their flu shot And as vaccine begins to roll out in the near future to consider getting that vaccination. I think repetition is a very good thing when it comes to to trying to fight the pandemic. Um, Penny, you talked about how our positivity rates might rise because 
of changes in testing. And, and let me just try to, um, you can you can check me on this, but the fact that IU is doing so much mitigation testing with people who weren't showing any symptoms was driving our number down. And now with all the students or most of the students gone, though, there will be a lot fewer tests and more, um, higher percentage of people will probably be being tested who are showing some symptoms. Is that pretty much it? Well, I think what you've really, you've hit the nail on the head with right now, because there is so much community spread that most of the people who are being tested are people who are ill, whether they are symptomatic or not. And so we are, you know, we're kind of in many ways back where we were in the spring, where we were saying, you know, the priority for testing are people who are sick, who are symptomatic. And the priority is also for those close contacts we do want close contacts to wait at least five days from that exposure before they get tested unless they're symptomatic. So if you're asymptomatic and a close contact, we would advise you to wait five days. But if you're symptomatic, then certainly go in, either confirm that it is COVID-19 or rule it out. Um, that's very, very important. And keep in mind that if you are primarily testing people who are symptomatic, you, you're going to be testing people who are probably sick and your positivity rate will go up, that's expected. Uh, but clearly, even when we look at our rate per 100,000, um, you know, it's, it's over 200 uh, in the week and we want it to be very, very low. Uh, we're striving for that blue on that color-coded map and we want a low positivity rate and a low number of people um, actually infected. All right, Carol Weiss-Kennedy is IU Health Bloomington's Director of Community Health. And Carol, let me just uh, thank IU Health Bloomington. Again, they've provided a lot of speakers for our show. This is the first time you've been on with us. And I just wanna ask you this general question. I mean, how has your role as Director of Community Health changed uh, this year during the pandemic? Um, hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. And, um, you know, I think our work in community health has changed to really um, focus on the pandemic. Uh, many of our departments are helping support day to day. Other departments have kind of redeployed and um, are supporting in ways that they can um, just help those that are kind of on the front line. Um, Many of our programs, so for instance, our positive link program, um, our clients can't come in um, to see our employees or their care coordinators. So we're doing a lot of drive-by um, or pickup or um, uh, door-to-car type of service. And it's, it's really made us think out of the box. Probably some of the things we'll keep, um, you know, from this virtual lifestyle, but um, Right now, we are just really focused on anything that we can do to support the um, ease of the pandemic. We're going to start talking about uh, vaccinations now, and Carol, we'll be back to you to talk about how you know how we deploy across the the city and the regions that IU Health covers in a minute. But I want to want to bring um, our third guest onto the show, Dr. Cynthia Brown, and you are uh, very involved with the clinical trials and, and IU, IU School of Medicine's involvement with AstraZeneca. Could you explain that, um, you know, the, the partnership and, and what that trial is all about? 
Yes, thank you for asking me to speak about the trials today and vaccines in general. Um, I am what is called a site <clears throat> principal investigator. So we are working with about 100 other sites across the country <clears throat> to enroll individuals in this uh, vaccination study. And there's also several sites in South America as well. The reason why you need so many sites for a trial like this is the goal is to get 44,000 individuals in the United States and South America enrolled into this vaccine trial. And at Indiana University, we have a goal to get between 1,000 and 1,500 individuals. The AstraZeneca vaccine is uh, probably the third of the vaccines that are being um, supported through COVID vaccination to be this far along. Um, <clears throat> this vaccine has also already been investigated in the United Kingdom and uh, Brazil, so in other places in South America as well. And some of the preliminary results from those trials uh, look positive um, as well. And AstraZeneca is looking to potentially get um, approval in the United Kingdom soon, but we will be a little bit farther behind because our trials are still ongoing in the United States. Now, this trial was was halted briefly, and, and then I think you it was halted in September, and then you restarted in October. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And, and this is a really great example of the FDA doing exactly what you want the FDA to do through the course of a vaccine trial and study. Um, there was an event and a subject in the United Kingdom that the FDA wanted to take a closer look at and to decide that this was a safe vaccine to go forward. Because I think in all of these vaccine trials, um, of course, we want an effective vaccine. <coughs> Excuse me. But you also, first and foremost, have to protect the safety of first the participants and then the general population. And after the FDA took a look at very extensive data, they decided that they did not feel that individuals participating in the trial would be at increased risk. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get back to you in a minute. I have several more questions about the, uh, the trial, um, but we've had a question come in already that I, I think this one is probably for, for Penny to answer. Um, she's, this question says, is the spread at a place where we should be doing a self-imposed self isolation period similar to how we all behaved during the state's lockdown earlier in the pandemic? That is an excellent question. And I would say that for some people, absolutely. And it's, it certainly would not hurt. Um, I think that from what we've learned and what we know now versus then, um, you know, we don't want to have to go back to any kind of closures or stay at home orders if we can avoid that. We know that there are other impacts that that has on individuals and our economy and livelihoods and all those things as well. So what we would like to do is strike a, a good balance, but certainly uh, I like the slogan that Colorado used. I think um, it was Colorado and it's safer at home, that we are safer at home if we're not going out and about, a, you know, without need. Now, I say that 
And I also want to point out that what we are really seeing in terms of spread is among families and households and those kind of what people think of as their small, those small bubbles, and they're not necessarily as small as they thought they were. So I might, there's a graphic out there that's very good. It, I might think my bubble of people is six, but if each person in that bubble has another bubble of six, it doesn't take long before my exposure grows. And it, it's just a reminder, again, that when we are around individuals that um, are outside of our immediate household, we really need to be masking, maintaining that six-foot distance, that those things are extremely important to do. But certainly, if people can stay home and if people are at high risk, if they have underlying medical conditions uh, that put them at greater risk for hospitalizations and uh, then absolutely stay at home if you can. One of the things that we are seeing right now and have been seeing for the past several weeks is an increase in our deaths and the frequency that people are dying. And that is absolutely something that we do not, we don't want people to be infected, but we certainly want people who are infected to, to recover quickly and well. We do not want to see people die from this infection. If you have a question for our guests today, you can send it to Twitter at Noon Edition. Uh, you can follow us there and get us a question there. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And we have asked um, through Twitter if any of you have any thoughts about whether you're ready, willing, and able to take this the vaccinations when they first come out or whether you have questions about them, if you can weigh in on that too. We would appreciate it. Um, Carol Weiss-Kennedy, from what you've seen as uh, the director of community health, I mean, how how seriously are we taking this this um, pandemic? I know, you know, Governor Holcomb has said many times on various calls and, and all of the guests we've had on this show have talked about how serious it is, as Penny has just reiterated, yet some people don't wear masks and some people don't social distance. What's your take on, on how seriously people are taking it? Well, I think in Monroe County, especially, I think our county is doing um, a spectacular job um, taking this seriously. If I'm out and about, um, I'm wearing a mask, I social distance, I wash my hands, and I also see a number of other people um, doing the same thing. Businesses are really supporting this and I think that's key in our community. Businesses are supporting the recommendations by the health department um, if you so that we can safely um, go out and, and um, enjoy some of the things that we normally like to do. Just as Penny said, no one wants to shut things down again. Um, I think to one of the things that's been very helpful is weekly communication through our leaders in the community and that's our CEO from the hospital and Penny from the health department, um, Brian Shockney from the hospital, Penny from the health department, uh, the mayor, uh, John Hamilton and others that get together um, weekly and just discuss so that we have one message. And I think that has given us the strength to um, be as, as positive as we can be about this pandemic. Thank you. I, I want to follow up with Penny. I know last time you were on, it was right before 
think it was before Thanksgiving, and we talked about, you know, what could happen with Thanksgiving gatherings. We're eight days out from Thanksgiving now. Is there any evidence that you've seen that um, these family gatherings have created a little bit more of a, a of an increase? Not yet. However, I, you know, you talked about it just being eight days out, and typically we see, you know, that five to seven day range when most people may become symptomatic. Uh, or test positive. So I think the next week or two, and then what happens in terms of hospitalizations tends to come yet another, you know, week to two weeks, sometimes three weeks after that. So the next few weeks will be very, very telling. As I looked at the news, I think they said, you know, travel was down what it typically is, but it was certainly up in terms of what what kind of travel we've had this year. And it is concerning that people may have, again, let down their guard and maybe maybe they had a small gathering, but they weren't as distanced or uh, as careful as they should have been. Or maybe they had a gathering that was a little larger um, than it should have been. The more people that are there, um, the, the greater the likelihood someone there may have been infected and not known it. We know that some people are asymptomatic carriers, uh, and you can be infectious a couple days before you actually even develop symptoms. So you, you don't have to be in that gathering and be sick uh, or knowingly sick. Um, and we've heard people say, you know, well, they, they've been exposed, or, but they went anyway because they felt well. If we're exposed to this infection, um, you know, we need, we need to quarantine. And if we are sick, we need to isolate for that full 10 days till our fever is gone for 24 hours and our symptoms are improving. Can you explain the recent change from 14 to seven days for the quarantine period? Sure, the CDC, you know, we learn it as we go uh, every day. They have not done away with that 14 days. We know that it still can take 14 days to incubate, uh, but what the CDC has done is allowed for a couple of options. Once we hit that day 10, the the likelihood that you may become infectious goes down quite a bit. So they've added a couple of options for people, and this may allow people in work settings to get back to work. So if I am asymptomatic, I do not have symptoms, and I was in that 14-day quarantine before, I don't have symptoms, at day 10, I still don't have symptoms, then I could be be released from that quarantine, but I definitely, I have to be wearing my mask, I have to be monitoring for symptoms, I have to maintain that six-foot distance. So it doesn't mean that at 10 days it's just back to your old behaviors. And then there is a seven day option if you are tested at day five or after and your test is negative. Again, asymptomatic in individuals. Um, the CDC would say that they, they still, 14 days is still the best. If you can quarantine that full 14 days, that would be ideal. But there are a couple of options based on the science that's available. And I think the best, Uh, This isn't my thought. Uh, 
we read it in another article, but it is a perfect example of harm reduction. You know, the safest thing is that 14 days, but that 10 days and that seven days with a negative test at five days is a form of harm reduction. But I, again, I will stress that people who are using that seven or 10 days have to be masked if they're out, they, they need to be maintaining that six foot distance and monitoring for symptoms should they appear. So they need to be very, very cautious during those last few days. All right, that's Penny Caudill, who's the Monroe County Health Department Administrator. We also have on the show today, Carol Weiss-Kennedy, IU Health Bloomington Director of Community Health, and Dr. Cynthia Brown, IU School of Medicine, Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to Twitter at at Noon Edition. That's where you can find us on Twitter. You can send us questions there. You can send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Dr. Cynthia Brown is uh, very involved with IU's uh, trials, with the AstraZeneca trial. So we were talking about that earlier. How, how are you selecting people to be in the trial? You said 1,000 to 1,500 people from IU will be involved. How do you pick those people? Yeah. People are coming um, from across the state. We've had people from as far as ways Evansville come up to participate in the trial. And we're looking for individuals that are 18 years of age or older and have an increased risk for acquiring COVID-19. So not necessarily an increased risk of complications, but you have to not be someone who is strictly staying at home. So you have to have an increased risk for coming in contact with the virus, whether it's healthcare, um, other essential workers like teachers or people working in, in grocery stores. Um, so pretty much, you know, we have a really broad population of individuals who could participate. Now, of course, we in, in along the vein of making sure that this is a safe vaccine to give, we are excluding some individuals who might be at increased risk of having complications because for this first period of vaccination, particularly in the studies, we want to really um, focus uh, very heavily on safety. And for instance, some of the things that might exclude somebody from participation would be as if their immune system is compromised, be it from chemotherapy or other medications. So we have to look very closely at an individual's uh, concomitant medical conditions to make sure that they that they fit well. Um, and individuals who want to participate and want to volunteer can fill out a volunteer profile for the in, at, for the study at allinforhelp.info. Um, we, we have a really fantastic team of uh, recruitment specialists who will um, go through your medical history and make sure that you're safe to participate. One of the questions that we did get before the show said, surveys have shown that African-American people are less willing to get vaccinated for COVID than white people. What's being done to make sure people of color feel safe about the vaccine? And, you know, are you, are you having a, a broad cross-section um, multicultural kind of cross-section of people in the study? Certainly that is a very important focus and you know, kind of along the themes of uh, racial justice 
you know, um, we historically have done a poor job of ensuring um, the safety of individuals of uh, minority uh, descent in, in clinical research trials. And you don't have to look far, you know, I think the, the classic um, uh, unfortunate research study is the Tuskegee um, experiment where and African-American men were allowed to continue to live with syphilis even when treatment was available. And they were essentially lied to about this. So when we think about uh, research and performing research in vulnerable populations, you have to ensure that individuals have a, a, a large amount of information in order to make good judgments uh, about the study and ensure that that people feel comfortable participating. And we want all individuals to feel comfortable participating. What we, in the end, what we don't want is to have information that a vaccine is highly effective in one group, but perhaps less highly effective in another group, especially as we're developing not just AstraZeneca, but Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, there's going to be a wide variety of vaccines potentially available. And if one group responds better to a specific vaccine than another, we need to know about that. So within our recruitment team, um, our, they are looking at um, trying to make sure we have a diversity of participants. And so far, um, we've done a good job of this. Uh, the last assessment, we had about 10% Black participants and about 15% of the Latinx population, which I think is it's really good to, to look at your own metrics from time to time to ensure that you're bringing in uh, a minority population. And about 30% minority has been the report from uh, some of the other trials, such as Pfizer and Moderna. So I think nationwide, that's our goal is to have at least 30% minority participation. So I've heard from various news reports that, uh, and I'm sure Penny can address this too, that perhaps the, the great news about um, the success rate of these, of, of these trials, the good news coming out of the trials has maybe let people um, drop their guard a little bit. So I guess I'll ask Penny first, do you think a is is do you think that's true and and b you know why is that why is that a bad idea yeah right now is not the time to let our guard down that is for sure regardless of why i, I think that people have in many cases kind of lowered their guard for a lot of reasons you know there we our healthcare system d did make strides and learned over the months, how to care for individuals who were hospitalized better. Um, and so we saw some decrease in deaths or the frequency of deaths. Um, you know, there for a while we saw numbers coming down and, and people are just tired. Um, but, you know, we, we're just tired. And those things play into it. I think coming inside has you know, and the holidays and the things that people want to do. Um, and then the hope that a vaccine is around the corner. All those things, I think, play into us maybe just being a more lax on our behaviors. But now is not the time to do this. We need to 
enhance, if anything, our behaviors so that we are being extra cautious so we can drive down the numbers now. And the good news is that the vaccine is coming. And as we move through uh, quarter one and quarter two of 2021 and get most everybody vaccinated, um, then we can hopefully um, start kind of easing up a little bit. But I don't think that the need for masks isn't going away soon. Um, the need for, for that physical distancing isn't going away soon, but we certainly are hopeful with the vaccine that things will be improving as we go forward. I just want to urge everyone to, to do what we can now, keep wearing those masks, despite how uncomfortable it may be for you, um, maintain that distance, good hand hygiene, um, avoiding crowds and unmasked people, those kinds of things. We know what we can do to reduce the risk of sp and spread of this infection. Let's do that so that we don't continue to see a surge and then we can get people vaccinated and move forward. Dr. Brown, could you walk us through um, the reality of where we are with these vaccines? We've got Pfizer and Moderna, uh, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson. I mean, how, how quickly will we start seeing people being vaccinated? And then what does that mean? I mean, if I was, if I was uh, you know, to get vaccinated today, when, when would I be more safe? How soon would it be effective? Okay, that's a great question. So in the taking a step back and thinking about the big picture with vaccines, um, I think it's been really important that we have a variety of vaccine development going on at once. You know, it's like you're taking multiple shots on goal and it's going to take billions of doses of vaccines to cover everyone who needs this around the world. So we have to have a lot of opportunities to get that vaccine out there. So the first two vaccines that entered into the phase three clinical trials were the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. And both of these vaccines use technology called mRNA technology <clears throat> that induces um, immunity to a part of the coronavirus called the spike protein. And this spike protein is the key, if you will, for the coronavirus to enter your cells and cause damage. It's how the coronavirus attaches to a cell and enters it. So if your body can produce immunity against the spike protein, you can um, decrease the likelihood that the coronavirus is gonna cause you any um, morbidity and significant disease. So both of those trials were very ambitious trials like all of these are um, with a goal to enroll over 30,000 individuals. And they both hit that goal really quickly. I think one of the questions that I get very frequently is, is this being developed too quickly? And I think the answer is no. And I, there's a few reasons why the vaccine has been able to move along as quickly as it has. The first reason being is that people have a lot of interest in participating in this type of research. I would, I cannot think of any research trial in the past that enrolled 30,000 individuals as quickly as this has. 
and not just one research study, but then two research studies. And with the pace of enrollment in the AstraZeneca trials, that's three large trials. And with, you know, within less than six months, there'll be a, a hundred thousand individuals essentially enrolled in these, these large trials. So that's one piece of the vaccine development and the speed with which we can look at this. The second piece is, is when you're looking at the effectiveness of vaccines, you need to show a change in case rate and, and disease acquisition. And if you think about maybe some other types of diseases that we look at to develop vaccines for, for instance, perhaps the shingles, it takes a long time to accumulate enough cases to determine if that vaccine is effective. However, the fact that we're in the midst of a pandemic and the case rates are not just high in Indiana, but they're high across the nation, means that the number of cases can accrue quickly enough to determine that this vac the vaccines that are under development are, um, are effective. On the safety piece, when we think about safety, the other piece of that is following for safety. And most people who get any sort of vaccine reaction, that reaction happens fairly quickly. So the FDA has determined that two months of safety follow-up, and, and again, Pfizer and Moderna have hit that with their 30,000 participants, that they've had two months of safety follow-up following the administration of the second vaccine. So I think the speed with which we're able to do it reflects the pandemic that we're in. Um, and then kind of thinking about, okay, how are we going to get these vaccines through? Um, you know, Pfizer will be evaluated by the FDA next week, Moderna shortly thereafter. So it is likely that we will have um, the possibility to begin to administer vaccines to some individuals within the next um, by the next couple of weeks. And I'm sure Penny and, and Carol will be able to speak more to what the situation might be like in Monroe County. Um, the thing, the question is, is if, I, if you get the vaccine today, how soon would it take for it to be effective? Well, all of the vaccines that are being developed are two vaccine series. So you get a vaccine today and then 21 days to 28 days later, you get a second vaccine. And it is felt that you're not protected completely or fully at all until that second vaccine has been administered. And even then it will take a few weeks after that. So if you got the vaccine today, you would not be protected from COVID truly, at least for about six weeks. So you have to be really careful about that. And then the other piece of that is community spread is still high. So getting a vaccine doesn't mean you can forego other uh, measures. So masking is still going to be important. Um, not exposing yourself to undue risk is going to continue to be the important until our community spread goes down. Okay, great. If uh, Thank you for that answer. If, if you have any, if, if our listeners have any other questions, you can send them to us. Uh, on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Carol Weiss-Kennedy, I'm going to ask you first to follow up on that. I mean, is IU Health, what kind of a plan do you have to distribute those vaccines when they do become available? Sure. Um, so IU Health 
um, at the system level is one of the five larger systems within Indiana that will receive the large doses of the Pfizer vaccine. And those will start um, after approval from the FDA, as Dr. Brown mentioned, um, assuming that that happens uh, probably by December 15th, 16th or 17th, um, those doses should be arriving at the larger hospital system locations. And then within those systems, there are smaller locations. Bloomington is one of them, IU Health Bloomington and IU Health Paoli is the other. Um, we will each service a five county area and we will be focusing on that 1A group. And that 1A group contains or, or um, covers the frontline healthcare worker and the long-term care facility worker. So we expect to get vaccine around the uh, 17th of December. Our plans are set in place to begin as early as the 18th uh, with administration of the vaccine. Uh, again, it's to that population first. And um, we will, at the time of that first shot or that first vaccination, we will set up um, the second dose for that individual. They do have to have the same dose or the same um, brand of vaccine. They can't mix them. Uh, so it's helpful to come back to the same location for the second dose. Um, and it is in that range of 21 to 28 days later. Um, we'll continue on that until, um, you know, we get through the majority. Um, and then I think Penny will be receiving from the state, will re be receiving um, more of that community-based. And I don't know if you want, if Penny wants to add that. Yeah, but first let me ask you, how big is the population that you're going to be serving with that, that 1A group? You know, um, the population of a five-county frontline healthcare worker, I, you know, I'm not sure that exact number. I know the doses that we're expected to get um, to serve that level, um, we'll get somewhere between five and 6,000 doses first week. And then we will, um, our next week's shipment will be based on the number that we vaccinate and the number that we have on have in supply. Um, you know, I wish I, I can find out that estimate and send that. We can oh, get you that, with that. That's okay. No, that's okay. That gives me a good idea though. Yeah. The number of doses that you're getting. Okay, thanks. Uh, Penny, what about the the doses that you're going to be getting and, and the further um, distrib distribution of them? Well, certainly. So as you know that we work very closely, we have an agreement with IU Health for public health nurses. So you can imagine they are extremely busy and kind of doing double duty in, in many ways, really probably quadruple duty. But um, uh, we've had plans in place and our public health coordinator, emergency preparedness coordinator, continues to work on our plans. We've submitted our mass vaccination plan to the state um, as every health department had to do um, this week, early this week. Um, and we will continue to work on those plans. We like to include some what we call closed pods and a pod is a point of dispensing, um, but think of it as a clinic. Uh, so we will try to incorporate some of our local businesses, for instance, that have employee clinics that can help uh, dispense uh, vaccine so that 
Uh, we can get it out to people in an easier fashion, uh, not have to do quite as many uh, large scale vaccination clinics, but we certainly will do those. And it, by the time it, it will start when with the health department, we'll be starting in that uh, phase one B with some of the vulnerable populations, the higher risk populations. And then as it gets uh, out through those groups and into the general population, then we'll do some more drive-through clinics and mass vaccination clinic opportunities in, in that way. And I will tell you that we need lots of volunteers for that. We, we need lots of help for that. Um, one of the ways that we can use those volunteers, it's called the Medical Reserve Corps. And it's a little misleading perhaps because probably a third of the people you need are medical, actually medical people. And the other two thirds are people to do registration and help with traffic and, you know, collect paperwork and assist other people. So we are in need always of volunteers and we would like to have volunteers sign up now so that they can do their basic training that they need to do so that they understand how these systems work. Um, and then they're ready to go when we do have these vaccination clinics later this spring, um, late winter, spring. We don't have an exact timeline for any of this. Um, we know that it's coming and it's coming soon, but so much will depend on um, how the vaccine rolls out, how, how the state rolls it out, how people take the vaccine, if lots of people are taking it, if very few people are taking it, those kinds of things will determine how quickly we can get to that general population. But I would encourage people to go to our county webpage and under public health preparedness, there is a medical reserve corps page and um, check that out and see if you will consider being a volunteer for us. The state health department has also sent out um, trying to get medical people to volunteer, retired nurses, for example, uh, to help in the vaccinations. Anyway, we've gotten a couple of questions that have come in, um, and I think you've addressed these somewhat, but I just want to make sure uh, one of them is, what is the health department's authority involvement in setting plans? I guess that the question is, are, is every county on its own, every local health department, or, or how do you coordinate with the state? Is there, is it going to be a county by county situation? Um, to some extent, yes. You know, we're a home rule state, but we are, the CDC had required plans of the state health departments. Um, and so the states are working with the Center for Disease Control. The states are really in charge of the dispersing of this vaccine. And because of the cold storage, um, that's one of the reasons that the hospitals are so integral. And I'm so thankful that they're available to do the healthcare care res response, um, maintain that cold chain storage that's needed. Um, so we will, we continue to work under the health department, the state health department. We submitted our plans to them and that will help them uh, determine what else may be needed help-wise in local jurisdictions. But in terms of how each county will arrange or have those um, points of distribution, those points of dispensing, I should say, 
Um, that will be up to, to each county to determine. So a small one small county may be able to do it uh, at one location and you know we are not going to be able to do that. We'll have to have um, several different partners involved in getting everybody vaccinated. This is a follow-up to that. It's uh, the question is, will smaller health departments receive state support to distribute the vaccines? I think, you know, considering they might not have the resources that you have in Monroe County. Well, the state has, certainly all the plans are unfolding and and no plan is um, written in stone at this point because everything changes daily. But the state has secured some mobile units and they are planning to put those mobile units in the district in the districts, the states divided up into preparedness districts. So I think each district will have one or two of these mobile units that can help uh, get vaccine out uh, to places where it needs it. I do not know exactly how they will decide where they go or when and, and all of those details since that's a state managed uh, portion of the program. Okay, and now here's a, the final question that we've had come in, at least at this point, from Mary Ellen on on Twitter. Are there plans for mass outdoor or drive-through vaccination clinics to limit indoor exposure while waiting to get vaccinations? Yes, short order is yes. We like drive-through vaccination clinics whenever we can. If we're looking at, say, February or maybe early March when the weather may still be very unpredictable, uh, we're more likely to be indoors, but we will still, you know, we know what the pr- protocols are for this, and we will put every safety precaution in place to limit um, people's exposure, to move people through quickly. You now, we, with all of our exercises, we want to move people through in a matter of minutes. Um, this, the state has secured. Um, an, kind of an online registration, and we'll learn more about that as, as it's unfolded uh, to us locally. Um, I know the hospitals will be using it, what it looks like when it gets to the county level for those mass vaccination clinics. I'm just not sure yet, but that will also help us ensure how much vaccine we need, um, where people are going, and, and those kinds of things. So we definitely will have that in our plans. But we like those drive-through clinics whenever we can do them so that we keep people outside in their vehicles. You don't have to worry about if someone shows up ill, um, those kinds of things, because they're in a vehicle and you can direct them much easier. If you are in an enclosed site, then you've got to have somebody at the door to make sure that someone who's ill is sent another direction so that they're not potentially exposing people to whatever they might have. Mm -hmm. Dr. Brown, we've gotten a question uh, over email that I think you can answer. It is, will getting the vaccine give me COVID? Absolutely not. None of the vaccines that are being trialed at this point contain any amount of live virus. So you may feel bad after you get a vaccine, um, particularly that second shot um, after your body has seen the spike protein once and you've created some degree of immunity. When you get the second shot 21 to 28 days later, you may have some symptoms 
like um, a fever or my um, just feeling kind of tired and achy for about 24 hours. But that's just your body responding appropriately to the vaccine. But none of the vaccines at this point contain any amount of live virus. All right. Yeah. She, so I think you just answered this. Another question that came in is what are the side effects to the vaccine? Yeah, the side of the vaccines are what you expect from a getting a vaccine. Your arm will hurt. You may feel tired and achy. Um, I think all of those potentials are potentially worse after the second vaccine, uh, after your body has seen this once already. Oh. But it's pretty mild, just okay. a day or two of symptoms. And then just a, a third question. I mean, are there other you know, misconceptions about getting this vaccine? I mean, I know we've heard certain people, I mean, there, there are people out there who will say, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't trust this vaccine. I'm not getting it. It's gone through too quickly, blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of different reasons, but are there misconceptions about the vaccine that you'd like to straighten out? Yes, I think um, there is some public mistrust regarding the vaccine. Uh, and this kind of follows a lot, many years of mistrust about vaccination. But the reality is, is vaccinations are really safe um, when you think about broadly and the ability to potentially prevent disease and save lives is in potentially tens of thousands of lives is really important for us to think about this vaccine. I think the primary misconception is that it's got it's been developed too quickly. And I, I think I tried to dispel some of that earlier when talking about the fact that we can move quickly because we have a large number of people willing to volunteer for the trials, plus the fact that we're in a pandemic allows us to be able to assess these vaccines for both safety and efficacy in a really rapid fashion. Okay, and, and Carol, here are a couple of questions that are more IU Health related. Will IU Health carry multiple COVID-19 vaccines from different manufacturers? Um, we actually, um, we're learning more about that. We will we'll get Pfizer first. And, and again, that's because we have more of the ability to store um, that, do that um, brand. Um, I saw information yesterday about Moderna, and we may also get that. Um, but again, it will be on a staggered uh, timeline. We have to stay with the dose that we start with, with the brand that we start with. So I would say that um, our locations will get both, but if we're starting with Pfizer, we're, we're remaining with Pfizer until we've gotten everybody um, through that second dose. Okay, and then this is a follow-up to that as well, I think. Uh, the question is, how will we know if the vaccine is effective among these healthcare workers? Who is tracking that? So um, we track daily how many people, how many of our healthcare workers are off on quarantine or um, uh, have tested positive. We track that daily. And um, so we hope to see a decrease in that. That would be one way um, that we would see that. And then in our healthcare uh, worker population, um, just in the community, we would hope to see less people coming through um, our hospital. Okay, we have just a couple minutes to go. Um, Dr. Brown, I wanted to give you the opportunity. You know, it's we've covered a lot of ground today, but are there other things that you think people need to know about the vaccination process 
that perhaps we haven't gotten to? I think we've been really thorough um, in discussing the vaccination process and just kind of potentially going back to the trial that's ongoing. Um, I do want to say, you know, if you're participating in a trial and you're and I've mentioned that um, the how to register potentially for the trial. If you are participating in a trial, um, you may get a placebo. So you so we want people who are willing to participate in the trials, but with the knowledge that two thirds will get an active vaccine and one third will get a placebo. Um, and I think this needs to be weighed with the uh, possibility that we might have other vaccines available. So people who are considering participating need to think about that as well. If you're going to participate in the trial, would you be willing to potentially forego one of these other vaccines for a period of time? Now, one thing that I do want to say is if you have gotten a vaccine in the, or participated in the trial, we would not prevent you, obviously, from getting a um, approved vaccine as well. But you, that, that would be a situation where you might end up with two vaccines. Okay. And in the last 30 seconds, Penny, do you want to just repeat your uh, different tips for people, how they can stay safe? Yeah, we've been using the acronym SMASH and that we can smash COVID with uh, social distancing of six feet, uh, wearing our masks, avoiding crowds or other people who are unmasked and not distanced from us physically, avoiding uh, the crowds, as I mentioned, staying home when we are ill and um, hand washing, maintaining that good hand hygiene. And again, I'll, I will add to that, get your flu vaccine if you have not done that yet. And when the COVID vaccine is available for you, please, please, please consider getting it. All right, thank you to Penny Cotto from the Monero County Health Department, Carol Weiss Kennedy from IU Health Bloomington, and also Dr. Cynthia Brown from the IU School of Medicine uh, for my uh, producer, our producer today, Benta Boutier and engineer John Bailey. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.